If you got a Bible, turn to Matthew 14. I love, I'm so grateful for Nick. Somebody came in this morning and they were like, oh, the walls are painted. And I said, yeah, they are painted. Not the gray walls. We didn't paint those this week. But the rolling walls that will be for the photography exhibit he painted this week. And uh, the man can do many things. He lofted my children's beds uh, last week. So it's like one project a week. Um, and I even realized, like, they look good, don't they? They're pretty impressive. Um, uh, I, like, just so grateful for him and, and everybody who serves Jesus. Like, I look at Kayla, who keeps all of this below with the kids, the madness down below running, and then stands up and sings, and then also, like, organizes a photography project. Um, it's fun to be serving Jesus with, alongside you. Like, um, and those are just the people who are getting paid to do it. Like watching you serve Jesus because you love him and you love this community um, is amazing. This morning I got here, I walked in at nine and Nicole was already here, like stuffing the chairs with connection cards and putting pins in and getting everything set up. And that makes it a lot of fun. Um, and really what all of that does is it just tills up the ground for what I believe God wants to do in our church and in our community and in our lives. So uh, this week I was talking with a friend who is uh, planting a church here in greater Boston. And I think he's really gifted. Like, I'm going to say that. Uh, I think he's really gifted. I think he loves his community. Um, I get to coach a lot of people starting new churches here around Boston. A lot of you know that. And like, I would put this guy in like the top level of guys who are doing it right now. Um, I just believe in him a lot. I believe in the work he's put in and the call that God has on his life will make the hairs on your neck stand up. And God's given him a lot of favor. But when I was talking with him this week, he texted me, I think it was like Thursday night. And he says, how do you know when you're ready to launch your church? Now, let me just give you just a quick like disclaimer on something like people don't start churches. God starts churches. The, the Bible says that the church is a body and no human can just bring a body to life. Like God has to do that. And so God starts churches and churches send churches. This is not just human effort that anybody is doing any of this. If God blesses any church in greater Boston, including this one, and brings it to life, it will be because he chose to do so. And that's amazing. It's his work. But it takes a team of people to do it. Some of you have been here for a long time now, and it takes some work. Like, it takes some work and some um, resilience, honestly, to do it, right? And so I was talking with him, and he said to me, he texted me, and he said, how do you know when you're ready to launch the church? And then he said this, and it was gutting because I love this guy like he's my brother. He said, in, in one text, he said, I'm worried that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the next thing he said was, I'm battling fear. And I got that. Like, if there's anything I get, it's that. And then at the, at the very end of the conversation of him sort of, before I began to speak, and he says, now my gut says, like what Nick just says, he says, my gut says this, like deep down, but my fear says this. And we had to just come back to what, what God is saying in his gut because usually our hearts, like our guts, it's like, that's where the spirit speaks down in our, like the people from hundreds of years ago say God spoke in our bowels. <laughs> not, not to our hearts, like my brain and my heart, they wrestle with fear and doubt. 
but like deep down in my gut, I believe God down in my, literally almost like in my bowels, I have to believe who God is and what he's doing. And so with my friend, I just texted him and just tried to remind him of what we've seen God say in his life. Are there any times for you that God tells you to do something or calls you to something and it's almost like you get momentary amnesia over what he's like, what he's told you to do or who he's called you to be. Like there's a hymn we sing in the church that says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Like I feel that I've, when my friend said I'm battling fear, my gut says this, but my fear says this. I, 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 um, I, my heart went out because I knew in that moment he had forgotten something and needed, needed reminding of some things. Like, have you ever felt the gap in your life between what God has called you to do and what you can do? Has that ever happened to you? Like, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a relational thing. Like, God has called you to do and be this, but you feel like you're here. (laughs) I think of some of you, and I can literally hear the things that we've talked about over the last couple of years where you're like, JD, like, I love the Lord, I just don't know anything about the Bible or how to be a Christian. Man, I'm committed to this workplace, but this place is so bad right now. I'm fiercely committed to this relationship, but man, it's really difficult and I can't see the way forward right now. Um, Maybe, maybe these are even things uh, corporately that we, ha- we say as a body, a, a church in this neighborhood. It's like we believe God's called us to do these things, but we can't just easily see the way forward. Eugene Peterson says this. It's such a great quote. There's an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. Now, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. You can kind of acknowledge with your eyes. How many of you, when you hear that, There's a gap between what God calls you to do, what God calls us to do, and what we think we can do. How many of you hear that and that's like discouraging a little bit? Does that discourage anybody? That can kind of sort of discourage me. I think that's an encouraging statement. I I know like Eugene Peterson, if you've ever read the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson is the guy who spent the back half of his entire life creating the message translation of the Bible. Like I know of Eugene Peterson enough to know that that's a positive statement and not a negative statement. There's an enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. And so today I want to read to you a story that's probably familiar, Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. I grew up in flannel board Jesus era. Uh, do you, it, some of you may remember flannel board Jesus. Some of you will not. It's when uh, churches would have a flannel board. This was before iPads and projector screens and probably even before those projectors that had the light and you had the transparent screen. Like this was when the best tool you had was a, a bulletin board with flannel on it and you would order these kits of like flannel Jesus. And then there was like water and you could make flannel Jesus walk on flannel water. And then there was like flannel boy with, um, you know, bread and, and, and fish. And like you could, and he would, and, and flannel boy would have his, you know, little flannel basket and he would bring it to flannel Jesus and flannel Jesus would serve 500 flannel people. Like this was the technological advances of the 1980s growing up in the church, right? I actually Googled it this week to see if you could still buy these. I almost bought it, but I was like, 
I'm too cheap to buy flannel board Jesus, like a set. Uh, and it was like $25. I was like, and I'm not putting it on the church card. So we'll just imagine flannel board Jesus. If you did not grow up with this technological privilege, um, go to Amazon. You can still find it. Just look at it. Don't buy it. Don't waste your money. But I grew up with flannel board Jesus. And this is a flannel board story I most definitely remember. It, it's familiar to me. I'm, I'm sure to a lot of you it's familiar as well. Immediately, uh, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, this has arguably been the most exhausting day of Jesus' life. Uh, His cousin, John the Baptizer, John the Dunker, John the Baptist, um, Jesus had just found out his cousin had been murdered. And his, uh, his, his cousin had been assassinated by essentially the governor of the area um, who had it out for him because he had called him to repent of sin. John had called this governor to repent of sin. He didn't want to do it, and so he threw him in prison. And then just through this really bizarre story, uh, he ends up having to have John or choosing to have John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, murdered. And some, it would seem that at some point at the beginning of this day, Jesus is informed that his cousin, who Jesus thought was literally the greatest human being had ever lived. And at one point, somebody came and said, tell us what you think about John. And Jesus said, John is the greatest prophet that has ever lived. While Jesus understood that he was uniquely the God-man himself and that he was come, the lamb and the lion, to save the world, he understood that John was the one who went before him and prepared the message. And so the day starts with Jesus finding out that this great, uh, first of all, family member, and then second, this great spiritual leader who was sort of ushering in a ministry that Jesus would kind of come in behind and John prepared the way. Jesus finds out that John died. And then the next thing that happens like this, there's a crowd of maybe 20,000 people sitting around Jesus late in the afternoon. The Bible tells us there are 5,000 men. That doesn't account for the women and children. And so they're sitting here by a lake, and all of a sudden, there's maybe 20,000 people come to hear Jesus on the day that he found out his cousin died. And Jesus takes like five fish sticks, and five hush puppies and a couple of fish sticks, and he feeds 20,000 people. And it's like, everybody's like, what in the world did we just see here? What do we just see? There's leftovers, there's baskets, everybody's mind is blown. The Bible says that they didn't all just get like one little crisp, you know, uh, if you've ever, nobody has to admit it, if you've ever eaten at Long John Silver's, you know, there's the, the hush puppies, the fish, the fries, and then there's that stuff in the bottom that uh, my wife loves. I can see her getting the Holy Spirit right now as we talk about that stuff in the bottom. Like people got more than that stuff. Like they got enough food, the Bible tells us that they were filled. And so Jesus found that his cousin died, and then he feeds the masses. And now the day is ending. It's the golden hour. You know, that moment where photographers dream of. It's beautiful. They're right along the water. And Jesus tells the disciples, get into the boat and go before him, cross the lake while he's dismissing this mass of people. And so after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain, verse 23 says, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Uh, 
And so the disciples are crossing the, uh, crossing the lake. Uh, the lake that they're crossing is uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's pretty skinny. It's kind of a skinny lake. At, at its longest, it's about nine miles across. And on, the near, on this way, it's probably like four or five miles across. It's not a huge lake. And Jesus is up on a mountain watching these guys uh, try to cross over this lake. And he's praying. And I'm sure he's grieving. And I'm sure he's thinking about when what they were about to go do, which is when the disciples went from this side of a lake to this side of a lake, they were going from like Jewish territory to Gentile territory. This is like going from um, the, home, the home team, the home stadium to the away stadium. The Red Sox will play the Astros tomorrow. They're 1-1 on a chance to go to the World Series. And the Astros think they've had it bad this year playing in away stadiums after they cheated for three or four years in baseball. But they are never going to have heard the boos and rowdiness of the crowd that they are going to hear come tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. That's what Jesus' disciples are about to do. They're about to go from the home stadium to the away stadium where they're not going to be received as well. And so Jesus is spending some time praying, saying, God, prepare the way. Prepare the way for me and my guys, my crew to go in and tell them that the kingdom of God is here and there's good news that people can know and have relationship with God. And so he's praying there on the water in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long ways off from land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now, they're probably two to three miles out, maybe as much as five miles out, but they're literally in the middle of a lake, and the storm comes up, and the way it's written, this is not just like a storm. These are professional fishermen. They They know how to do this. Whatever's going on here is almost like a demonic storm. Like, the wind is coming down from the mountains, hitting the water, and it is freaking these guys out in the middle of the night, and these professional fishermen cannot get across this lake. And I love that phrase, the wind was against them. Because in one sense, like the wind's just against them. The wind's like, you know, we get that. I get that, right? But in another sense, the wind is against them. Like, you ever feel like that? Like even nature is conspiring against you? You ever felt like that? A few of you are laughing under your mask right now because you know what that feels like. Like everything is against you. Oh, it's not just that the wind is against me. It's that the wind is against me. And that's what these disciples are experiencing here in the middle of the night, these professional fishermen, and they are terrified. Now, in the fourth watch of a night, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Professional fishermen are really tired. They've been rowing against this wind and the waves that are against them for several hours. They're exhausted. And, uh, and it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, verse 26, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I, we were talking the other night in small group. I love this story. This, but this story is one, I don't know if anybody feels this way. This story for me, if I were going to like have a friend of mine read a Bible verse who's not a believer, not a follower of Christ, this wouldn't be the story I would have them read. Like, is this one a little, like, this is a little hard to believe. At this point, I identify with the disciples saying, dude, it's a ghost. What in the world? We're tired. We have been panicked now for like six hours in the middle of this stupid lake that we've been on a hundred times. And we're all going to die, and they think that they're having a mass hallucination. 
And uh, this story for me demands that I reach, I don't know how Nick said it a minute ago, but like I have to reach down to believe this story. So if you uh, are watch, or if you're watching online, or you're sitting in the room and you're a Christian, I want to tell you if this story is hard to believe, if this moment is hard to believe, I want to tell you Christians that we worship the God-man who came and died for the sins of humanity and then rose from the dead. That is the most illogical thing that we believe. If you can believe that God loved us so much that despite our sin, he put skin on and came and lived among us for 33 years so that he could die in our place and then rise from the dead. Like if, you, if that's your confession under which you were baptized or under which you have professed Christ, then this story is not honestly that hard to believe. Like there's times when I read this story and go, ooh, that's crazy. Oh, but it's even crazier that when I can't work my way to God, God in love works his way to me. That's the gospel. The gospel is the craziest thing. Um, the God man walking on the water is actually not that crazy, as we'll see in just a moment. If you're a non-Christian skeptic and you're sitting in the room, or you're listening, like, I want to tell you, I get it. If you find this hard to believe, like, I get it. I would encourage you to read a gospel. Read the book of Luke in particular is my personal favorite. Read the gospel of Luke or we're going through Luke in our small groups right now. Come to one of those and, and, and examine the gospel and examine the life and claims of Jesus. But these guys are struggling. It says they cried out in fear. Uh, professional fishermen, like I can just hear these professional fishermen with their calloused hands and the smell of fish deep in their skin, like crying like in falsetto voices, like little babies. Like it's just such, a, it's such an image, like ah, Jesus, like squealing like my children do when they get really afraid. Like, and these professional fishermen are crying out in fear. And in verse 27, it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. If you underline your Bible, you hear me say this almost every week. I love that word, immediately. Like Jesus wasn't messing with them. You ever feel like Jesus is messing with you? Like Jesus is like, I know you got five minutes of resistance, but I'm gonna push you to six just to see what you got. Jesus isn't doing that. He knows what you can handle. He knows your limit better than you do. He knows my limits better than I do. And so when they are squealing like elementary school girls, help us, it's a ghost, oh, we're gonna die. Jesus immediately speaks to him and says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. I love that. It's Jesus saying more than like, hey guys, it's me. It's that. And Jesus saying, and I'm the Lord of creation. I'm the Lord of this sea. I'm the Lord of this wind. I've got this. And so then here comes the moment, the flannel board Jesus moment that I remember so distinctly from my childhood. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, falsetto. I'm not doing it this morning, but Lord, save me. He's freaking out, this professional fisherman, verse 31. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand. Again, if you underline your Bible, there's another immediately. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. And took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Verse 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now something Jesus says there, but I want to like lock in on for just a moment. When Jesus says, take heart, it is, it is I, it's me. Don't be afraid. Um, When he says that it's me, he, what he actually says uh, is this phrase uh, in the Greek, he says, I am. Take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. Why does that matter? Because if you remember, if you'll remember back to the Old Testament, remember the story, also flannel board, if you want to Google flannel board Old Testament or flannel board Moses, you remember uh, flannel board Moses coming to flannel board burning bush? Do you remember that story? Moses coming to the burning bush, maybe Charlton Heston, uh, and God saying, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And God calling Moses to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses says, God, when they ask me, when the Pharaoh asks why I should let the people go from slavery in Egypt, uh, what do I tell them? And, and God says, tell them that I am sent you. And God says, this is my name. People have just been calling me God. The closest thing we have to this is the word, uh, the Lord. It's when your Bible has the Lord, all caps. If you've ever noticed in your Bible, sometimes it'll be Lord, L-O-R-D. And sometimes it's L-O-R-D. That's that. The Lord says, Moses, tell them that the Lord Yahweh sent you. And Jesus in this moment says, they're freaking out. He's walking on the water. It's like 4 a.m. They're afraid they're going to die. And Jesus says, take heart. I am. Don't be afraid. Whew, that's so good. In the middle of our fear, in the storms of our life, Jesus doesn't just meet us. Jesus literally says, take heart. I am. That, that word and that Hebrew word from Moses in the burning bush literally means I am the God who was, I am the God who is, and I am the God who will be. I'm the God who made everything and am in control of everything. And Jesus says, take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. And so Peter does this baller thing and steps out onto the water. Like, I don't know if Peter uh, is just feeling brave or if he feels safer with Jesus. Like I can see Peter squealing the highest. So I'm going to think that he just felt safer with Jesus than he did sitting in the boat. And Jesus says, come man, come to me. And immediately he gets out and he's walking on the water. And that's so cool. But the first thing that happens Like he's walking to Jesus and then he sees the white caps of the waves and his eyes go from here to here. He sees the wind, he sees the waves and he starts to sink. And immediately, like, I don't know if Jesus did like go, go gadget arm. I don't know how this went down. If Peter got so close, but it says immediately Jesus reaches and grabs Peter and yanks him up out of the water. Like if you want a fun image, Google image, uh, Peter walking on the water, Jesus walking on the water. There's this, someone has painted, I didn't even look up to see who it was. Someone's painted this painting of, it, it's as if the painting is being painted from under the water from Peter's perspective and Jesus's hand is down under the water grabbing him out. And I saw that this week and I almost started crying. I'd never seen it before because I felt like I was underwater before. <laughs> like I got underwater so fast that my only hope was Jesus to rescue me. 
And so I love that. If you get a chance to find that this week, Jesus saves him immediately and says, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? In other words, he says, why are you double-minded? Why are you thinking in one sense you can walk with me on the water, but in another sense you're watching the wind and the waves? Like, do one or the other. Peter, don't be double-minded. And then he gets in the boat and the disciples say, truly, this was the son of God. And that's the point of the story. It's not that Jesus calms your storms. There's a Christian song. Sometimes he calms the storms. Sometimes he calms his child. I'm like, that's not what this song, that's not what this is about. It's sitting about how, it's not about any of that. It's not about Peter. This is about how Jesus is the son of God who defies the laws of science and nature. Uh, and he can do that as I am, as the Lord of the universe. So let me just share a couple things with you. I think today may be a shorter sermon. Oh, I might be wrong. Um, first thing I want to share with you is what God says in the light, don't surrender in the night. God in the, Jesus in the golden hour told these guys to get in the boat, cross, cross the lake, and head on over. In your life, what Jesus tells you in the golden hour, don't abandon in the night, okay? What Jesus tells us on the shore, he doesn't give up on in the storm. If God calls you to something when it's easy, when trust is easy, don't give up on that when it is hard. Some of you are new believers still, been following Christ for less than five years. It's easy when, you first, when we first believe, right? We're like, man, we love God. We love church. We love the Bible. You tell me to take them out, I'm going to take it. Like five years in, you're like, um, yeah, this is a little tougher. <laughs> My family thought this was a fad, and they see I'm still doing this. Or, you know, I used to read the Bible, and the words would... Um, jump off the page. And now like my Bible is a good doorstopper. Like this is what happens to us after a little while. What Jesus calls us to when it's easy to believe, hang on to when it's hard to believe. What he calls us to in the uh, shore, don't abandon in the storm. Jesus told them, go over there and I will see you in the morning. That was true at dusk. And that was true in the middle of the night. My, God has called my friend in the light and on the shore. And now my buddy who I mentioned earlier, earlier is in the middle of a storm and he's got to remember God's character. God's character never changes just because our circumstances do. God's character doesn't change because of a cancer diagnosis. God's character doesn't change because we get laid off from a job. God's character doesn't change because of inflation. God's character never changes just because our circumstances do. The second thing I want to share with you, I think is pretty obvious from the story, is that God interrupts our fear and failure with his character. God will interrupt our fear and failure with this character. What do I mean? I love that Jesus uh, bookends a confession of who he is with a command not to fear, because their fear in that moment is the scariest thing. So he says, take heart. He's addressing their fear. Don't be afraid. I am. I don't know how many of you panic in, in the storm. I don't know how big the storms are. The Bible says that this storm is so big that professional fishermen are freaking out. The Bible literally implies that this is a demonic storm. That like Satan messed with the weather. Like 
And I've been in a few of those. We were going on vacation this summer and we drove through a demonic storm. Like the sky went from, in a matter of moments, from like nice to kind of gray to darker blue to black and then a green, like Christchurch Charlestown green. And I was like, this is not good. Like, this is not good at all. And, uh, and, and the storm, we were going this way and the storm is coming this way and I just hit the accelerator. And I was like, we're getting through this. It was like the movie Twister. Like, we're running through it. Like, when life gives you one of those, don't forget who Jesus is. Take heart. Don't be afraid. I am. I am. God interrupts our fear and failure with his character. He bookended their fear with the, with the declaration, I am, in between. This week in small groups, we talked about a woman whose sin was interrupted by Christ's character and forgiveness. When God shows up in scripture, don't fear, uh, tends to be our, that tends to be what God calls us to. Don't be afraid. Whether it's your sin or a struggle or a circumstance, whatever it may be, God will interrupt those things with a confession of who he is. And we have to hang on to that. The third thing I think we see in the story about love is this. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, but even when we don't, we need to know that he has his eyes on us. What church says and religion says, like the, the worst of church, not the best of church, but the worst of like church says is, you mean you gotta pray more. And you got to go to church more and you got to give more and you got to be a better person and you got to do those things. And it can feel at times like walking on the water. And there are moments where we begin to drown. And what religion would tell you is we'll try harder, get back on top of the water and get over there to Jesus. And that is a patently ludicrous idea. What the gospel says is man doesn't walk on water. Only God does that. So when you attempt to do something with God in faith, understand that when you drown, Jesus immediately reaches out to you and to me. Keep your eyes on Jesus, but when you don't, know that he has his eyes on you. The point of the story is that Jesus is Lord over all creation. The wind obeys him. The water obeys him. The laws of nature obey him. But people have a choice. <laughs> That's the craziest part. The rocks cry out. If Jesus says, if people don't worship me, even the rocks will cry out. The wind stops when Jesus says, that's enough. But humans have a choice. We get a choice. And so when we take our eyes off of Jesus, that is sin. And choosing something or someone other than him. And faith is fixing our eyes on Jesus. Sin is taking our eyes off of Jesus and fixing them somewhere else. And grace is Jesus rescuing us immediately when we take our eyes off of him. Faith calls us out of the boat. Sin is me fixing my eyes on something or someone other than Jesus. And grace is Jesus rescuing us when we do that, when we deserve to drown. There is a wide gap between God's call and our capacity or what we think we can do. It's easier to stay in the boat. It's easier to stay in the boat. It's easier to just have a nice marriage, a nice job, a nice church, a nice, all this stuff. That is easy. It is hard work to do God-sized things, to get out of the boat. And so I want to encourage you to get out of the boat. It's impossible to see, it may be impossible to see the shore on the storm, uh, in the storm. But Jesus calls us 
in the middle of the boat to get out and walk with him. And the gaps are the good, those are good. Most of us, Nat and I talk about this a lot, I think most of us would like an existence where we can just stay on the shore and following Jesus always be easy. Like, I want my kids to always believe. I would prefer that none of us get really sick. I would prefer that for you, that life be really pretty easy. My brother also is a pastor. I don't know if you guys know that. And he had a former student this week who passed away really pretty unexpectedly. And he said, man, in 20 something years of ministry, this is the first kid that I ever pastored who, who passed away, like kid. Like my brother would never choose for that friend and that family or himself to go through that situation. But that is not how life works. Like sometimes following Jesus takes us out into the middle of a lake and a storm comes up and it seems like a demonic storm. And there is a gap between where we are and where Jesus is. And in that moment, don't forget that the gap is okay because it's into the gap between us and Jesus that Jesus steps. He calls us in faith out of the boat and he steps into our gaps. One of my heroes is John Lewis. He was a senator for a long time from Georgia. And John Lewis famously said that sometimes we need to get into some good trouble. We need to get into some good trouble, some necessary trouble. Uh, he said, I love that. Sometimes we need what faith, when faith calls us out of the boat, we need to embark into some good trouble, some good uncertainty. I think part of the issue for the church in our culture is we played it safe. And I think part of the problem for Christians in our culture, why we're not very attractive to non-Christians is we've just played it safe. Like following Jesus doesn't seem like a daring adventure and walking on the water and risking. It seems like just something we do on Sunday morning. And as long as our faith to everybody else looks like we're just a bunch of people sitting on the shore, not in the storm, not in the fight, not walking on the water, not Jesus stepping to our gaps. I don't think they will find our faith very compelling. And so I wanna encourage you to get into some good trouble, some necessary risk to develop a spiritual discipline, to put a sin habit to death, to hang on in hope and fight for a relationship when it would be easy to give up on it, to keep believing in someone or praying for someone in your life when the common sense thing would be to just cut bait and move on. I want to encourage you to take on even a monumental task in the name of Jesus. Step out of the water. And if you come up short, at least you walk on the water. Like, can't you just see the disciples? Like, I wonder if any of the disciples were like, smooth move, Peter, nearly drowned. What an idiot. He's like, dude, I was on the water. What are you talking about? Like, I'm hopeful that the disciples were like, bro, that was amazing. Why didn't we jump out too and do that? You know what I mean? Like, I think I would love for our church to be marked by jumping out of the boat onto the water. I would love for your faith and relationships and career and influence and witness and character and holiness and spiritual disciplines be marked by stepping out of the boat onto the water, taking a risk, even if it seems crazy. And so today, I don't know how many people in here are hyper-observant. There are 15 more chairs sitting in here than there were last Sunday. This is all the chairs. Except for one. There's one chair back there. This is 99 chairs sitting in here. And this is how many chairs we're going to leave out from now on. Um, this is how many we're going to leave out from now on. And it'll make it a little more crowded back there and all that. But we're going to leave out that many. 
And somebody this week was like, man, you mean there's one chair? Like Jesus told the story about leaving the 99 to go find the one. I was like, dang, I didn't even think about that, man. That's good. God might be calling you to be a preacher. Like, that's so good. Listen, like there's 99 chairs in here. Uh, and, and we need to believe toward the ones who aren't, aren't here. And we need to not believe the lie that that is a fool's errand. Because I promise you that Jesus loves our neighborhood and every member of it more than we do. And so next Sunday, we're calling uh, Come Together Sunday. What we, what we mean by that is, one, we want to just come together. And two, what we mean is we want to come together with someone else. Like, I want you to bring someone. I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider bringing someone next week. And so Thursday night, we've got these rolling walls. Thursday night, our Through Our Eyes exhibit, our photography exhibit opens. It'll be Thursday night here, Friday night here, and Saturday afternoon here. And so I want to invite you to come, and we're going to transform this room into something like an art photography exhibit. That'll be great. And then we want to, we're going to invite some of those folks who seem open to it to come on Sunday. And then Sunday, we're going to have church at 1015. And uh, Ronaldo's Pizza Truck uh, is going to be set up right outside. And then we're going to have pizza. You can get it to go or you can get it to stay. We'll put all the chairs up and set tables in here. And we want next Sunday to be just a really fun day. But I want you to be bold, step out of the boat, and invite someone to come with you. And here's the real challenge. I want to encourage us to collectively invite 100 people to come next week. Now, I'll tell you the truth, um, and, and that for me feels a little scary to tell you to do that for two reasons. One, because some people get JD, it's COVID. You don't want to put 50 people in this room. Actually, I do. I've been to Monument Restaurant, and it's way more full than 50 people in this room. Like, listen, it'll be okay. Uh, it will be okay. Um, but I want to challenge us to invite 100 people this week. Maybe they'll be Christians. Maybe they won't. I'll talk about this with you in just a moment more. But I want to begin to see us as a church push toward 50 and past 50 people regularly on Sunday. Like, we need to push toward it, and we need to push past it. Um, we really do. Uh, and that will demand something of us in the room, both in being here and in continuing to grow. And so here's what I want you to do. I think, hope we have a slide up of my phone, of the church phone number. Every time you invite someone this week, you don't have to tell me who you are. I, if I don't know your number, it's okay. I don't need to know the names of who you invited. Every time you invite someone this week, I want you to text the church's number and just say two, one, four. Every time you invite one person this week, I want you to just text us the number of people that you invited, okay? It might be your kids. It might be your neighbor. It might be somebody who's not been here in a minute. Text us who, not who, how many you invited, and that will be the way that we're going to count toward 100 this week. That, when I was preparing this week, I'll tell you, so some of you may say, J.D., that's a lot of people. Like the disciples standing in the boat, I almost reduced the number to 50 this week. And I, I, I sat with myself and I said, we can get to 50. We can invite 50 people. And I felt like, this, like, I felt like the Spirit of God was like, no, you cannot get to 100 unless God steps into the space. And so... I don't, if, I don't think 100 people will come next week. Full disclosure, like, I'm not an idiot. We live in New England. Like, but sometimes we have not because we ask not. 
And I want to challenge us to be part of something this week that's God-sized. So if you're sitting in the room, there's the number. If you're watching online, maybe somebody can put it in the chat. It's 617-580-2912. I believe that's right. Uh, every time you invite someone this week, text us and let us know. Um, and that will be good. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that the gap between what you call us to and what we think we can do is really wide. And that is actually a good thing. The truth is, for those in this room who have been born again, who have confessed their sin and confessed that they want to Christ to be the Lord of their life, that's the widest gap that there could be. Um, and, and you cross that gap. And so, God, whether it's an individual gap, maybe it's a broken relationship or a sin struggle or a, a spiritual discipline we need to develop or a job frustration, whatever the gaps are, wherever we're in the middle of the storm, Jesus, I pray that, as we, that we would remember that you sent us, you allowed us into the storm, you walk on the water near us in the storm, and you call us into the gap. And when we begin to sink, you still, you grab us immediately. God, I pray that our faith would be marked by good trouble and holy risk, necessary risk. Lord, if there's anybody in the room or anybody who's watching or listening online, Lord, I pray that if they've never given their life to you, that they would ask you to step into this, the gap between you and them and that they would surrender themselves to you. And Lord, I thank you that we've seen people do that. I look at these faces sitting in the room, people who are full of Jesus, full of the Spirit of God, because you've stepped into the gap, and I love them. It's a privilege to be their pastor. Lord, would you keep doing that? And Lord, finally, we pray for next Sunday. Lord, I pray that it would be a mile marker of a Sunday, a celebration moment, a moment when uh, we saw you do stuff we couldn't do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.